the Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. First of all, I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. By Chris Hart. And each week on the Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Daryl Stinson. Daryl is a vision-driven change agent with a career-long record of community outreach, leadership development, motivational speaking, marketing, and communication, successful leading organizations. He played defensive end at Central Michigan University from 2008 to 2011, where he won a MAC championship and was part of a 23rd national ranked team. However, Stinson attempted to take his own life in 2011 after a severe back injury ruined his chances of playing in the NFL. Thankfully, he survived his suicide attempts and discovered his life had meaning beyond sports. Stinson founded Second Chance Athletes, a holistic athletic transition company in 2017 to help athletes reach their full potential on and off the field. CSA provides an online curriculum assessments and one-to-one life coaching workshops, keynotes, and a variety of other transition solutions to current, former, and forgotten athletes. So welcome onto the show, Daryl. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to share with everyone listening today. So beyond the initial introduction that I've given you there, uh, what little bit of nugget did I miss out from that introduction that you want to share with my audience? Um, I am a married man and I'm happily married. Uh, We actually just celebrated five years of marriage. Um, And I have three beautiful, gorgeous daughters and they're very talented and intellectual. And uh, they're in the fog ages. So five, three and one. Um, and they're the A team, Ava, Ari, and Amaya. So uh, that 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 is always something that's very important to me is my family. And do you think, obviously, with your your, your um, drawbacks as a as an athlete, is why you wanted to create CSA in terms of it? Need, you need to have that support because uh, I know that's how we connected with with me listening to your TEDx talk quite recently in terms of. It doesn't take absolute failure or, in other words, rejection uh, to be able to make a change. You can change before that, that actually happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, if the more you aware, um, self-aware that you are, uh, the more, um, the quicker you can make changes in your life, uh, personally and professionally. And so uh, the rejection talk um, in large part is about awareness. Um, rejection happens to us all the time. We all felt it. We all hate it. <laughs> it never feels good to feel rejected. The problem is that it hurts so bad that we tend to try to put it in the back of our minds and pretend as if it didn't happen. And 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 in doing such, we miss out on the benefits that that moment could provide to us. Um, so if we were more self-aware, 
uh, we can make changes before we allow that painful moment of rejection to send us into some spiral to depression or until we hit rock bottom, we can make some course corrections in real time so that we can avoid some of those, uh, you know, catastrophic events. Do you think then that from an athlete perspective, then, you know, in a firm, and if you look at rejection from both good and bad, because obviously an athlete is very suited to be, you know, when somebody says no to them, they're going to go and say, well, I'm going to go prove you wrong. Do you think from obviously the, the downside of that, obviously it alludes to the fact that you mentioned there in terms of you're glossing over the fact of what you can learn from that. Mm-hmm. So you're asking me, what's the downside of managing rejection in the way that I just mentioned? No, no, but in terms of an athlete, it can deal with the rejection from obviously uh, being told they're not going to achieve this, that, or the other. Do you mm-hmm. think there's a downside of looking at it from a negative perspective? Because obviously we look at it as a positive. We're able to push through that adversity and kind of overcome the naysayers. But what is at the cost of doing that? Oh man, uh, you, you, <laughs> the cost of, uh, of viewing rejection in such a negative light is, is, I mean, I mean, it's scientifically proven, uh, that there's cognitive consequences, uh, that, that it increases anger, anxiety, depression, sadness. Um, and, and from my personal perspective, you miss out on, you know, as I mentioned in the TEDx talk treasure that you could cash in. You miss out on uh, information that can help you build a successful life, Um, information that can help you build healthier relationships, information that can help you improve your ability on and off the field. And so because anytime you view something as negative and uh, we are our our minds are wired to self-protect, you know, um, you know, it's, it's a part of the way that we're wired as human beings, that if something is a negative experience, I'm going to do everything that I can to avoid it. So if you avoid it, you miss out on the beauty of it. So it, it's a terrible uh, perspective to have on rejection that it's such a negative thing. That's, I mean, that was the main you know, thesis of my talk is that it isn't this you know, negative, humiliating force that kicks us around. It's actually a necessary development tool that can produce massive success in our lives. So... So in a certain extent, should we take a middle middle ground stance in terms of not utilizing it as motivation, but also being aware of it's going to give you life lessons as well? Obviously, an athlete, that's very difficult because it's it's very much like we're talking about the protection element. You are, to a certain extent, confronting me in terms of my identity, uh, my beliefs, how I operate as a human being, and also as an athlete. And you're going to go on the, well, depending on how you view it, defensive mode or offensive mode to be able to counteract that. So would a middle ground be more of a realistic outcome to take or is that impossible? I think, you know, that's a great question. You know, a middle ground. Yeah. I think if you, if you mean that a middle ground allows you to just observe the moment and analyze it and then make decisions after you have time to think about it and process a little bit. But um, I guess I'm, I'm in a little extremist in the sense that I would say that the high ground, right? Um, like I, I said in the talk that it isn't something that we should avoid. It's actually something that we should embrace. I said that rejection is not our enemy. It's our friend. I don't know about you, but I want to hang around my friends. <laughs> and so um, I, 
I, I don't, not necessarily like I'm like seeking out rejection, like reject me so I can learn from it. No, that's not the case. But when it happens, I promise you, I've, I've come to a place of wholeness in myself where I actually get excited when moments of rejection happen. Think about it this way. Um, as an athlete, you understand the, the importance of a coach, okay? Um, and watching film and studying an opponent and all those things. When that happens, that actually is truly a moment of rejection when you have to make improvements. You look at a play that you didn't make and, and realize the mistakes that you made. And if you would have corrected those mistakes, you could have made that play. Um, you know, there's so many times where we miss game winning shots all because of our fault or our positioning or, or whatever, a lack of practice. And when we watch film, and look at that, that is a moment of rejection. It's saying that what you did or who you are was not good enough. And if we don't see that as an opportunity to grow, if we don't see that as a positive thing, if we don't see that moment as so as something that can help us build success in our life, we'll avoid it. So when that moment happens, when people try to give me feedback, bring correction into my life, when someone doesn't like something that I shared on my TEDx talk or in general, my YouTube channel or whatever, what, the first thing I do is I get excited. Because I'm saying, I'm going to learn two things. I'm going to learn something about myself or, and I'm going to learn something about that person and the things that they're going through. Because oftentimes people's opinions of you are a reflection of their own inward feelings. Projection. So we can't avoid those moments. Um, So I say, not the middle ground, take the high ground, always look at it. Always be in a state of like, this is going to be awesome, great, something I can use, whether it's just a social intellect or emotional intelligence, or whether it's something that can help me with my own personal development and growth. Is that why people get irritated with social media then? Because obviously, I, mean, we talk, I don't mind, I've got no problem with airing this out in, in social domain because uh, if people haven't seen it, um, I don't. I, it'll probably become content at some point um, in terms of making it. Uh, a, a solution to a problem uh, for people to be able to utilize within their own lives. But do you think that's where obviously taking the high ground, the moral compass, however you want to call it, is the mm-hmm. best thing to do? Because obviously, if you take an emotional stance or a one of through anger, because you've not obviously the pers- other person's got a difference of opinion, obviously that's going to then become confrontational because you're like two rams butting heads. It's like, you're not listening to me in terms of you're not seeing my, my argument. Uh, I can see yours, but why can't you see my side of the conversation (laughs) as what it is? But I think obviously I get very passionate in terms of what I, what I say, but obviously that can be from a written perspective, misconstrued as arrogance or however, whatever we want to term it because you don't agree with the, the argument or the sentiment. And then obviously it then explodes in terms of the person is not going to back down based on what you were talking about in terms of status of projection. You're mm. going to go on a defensive when you're challenged. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you brought up so much, man. I mean, just to start with the social media aspect. Yes, it plays a huge role because all you, social media is the highlights of our life. Um, funny story. So my my head coach was Butch Jones. He's, he's now at the University of Alabama. Um, and this guy was a master at athlete motivation. OK, one of the things he used to do to motivate us to go from a Mac 
a MAC team that was ranked at top 25, um, which is hard to do because you don't face some of the best opponents in college football. Uh, but one of the ways he was able to do that was he used to take one-on-one matchups that he knew would, would destroy us. Okay. So let's say they had an NFL offensive lineman who high had to go against this guy would take um, all of their highlights and he would show them to me and he would yell and be like, this guy is going to whip your tail all over the field. He'll take a tweet that he said, like, we're going to beat CMU, like the normal thing that you would say. And he'd be like, he's talking about you. He's going to crush you. He would just get in your head. And one time he would do this so often. Um, one time um, he did it and it was actually reversed. I didn't learn this to act afterwards, but he took a guy that I was a much better than. And he didn't want me to slack off during the game because this guy was terrible. So he took this guy's best highlight reels. Um, he even pulled some stuff from high school and he showed it to me. And I'm thinking like, man, this guy is phenomenal. Like I've got to bring it. So I'm training all hard, man. I get to the game. This dude is terrible. He is trash. And, and um, I'm like, man, the coach really got me. Uh, here, here's my point is if I would have taken his highlights as his reality, (laughs) I would have been massively confused. And that's what we do with our lives. We take people's highlights on social media and we go, look at the success that they have. Look at the happiness that they have. Look at all the things that they have. And it's their highlight reel. It's not their real life, man. So you can't compare your reality to someone else's highlights reel. It just doesn't make, it just doesn't do you any good in life. So yes, that plays on rejection. We see people's highlights and we compare to our reality and it deepens the wounds of rejection. Now, in terms of opinions, um, being a thought leader, which you, which you are, um, if your objective is to get everyone to agree with you, you might as well quit. Oh, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy with that. I, 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 I've, I've resigned to the fact that be through my own struggles with mental health. Mm-hmm. You, you can't have, I, I know that was something I was doing very much so I was trying to appease other people it's like I don't know the only person at the end of the day that I have to make happy ultimately yeah. is the close friends family mm-hmm. and myself and, and at the end of the day I'm going to be my harshest critic anyway so absolutely I, I, if, I, if, if I'm going to let other people be up on, on me mm-hmm. it's going to be excited with me first and foremost and, and obviously I'd counteract that is it really I determine as crap. Well, mm-hmm. I reflect on it. No, not really. There's probably elements that yes, I can improve on and get better. Yeah, growth. And what did I? Do? And this is where most people don't look at the positives in, in in things that they do well. Is what did I do particularly well? With right. it, nobody actually looks at athletes included because you take it as a given. It's like, well, I do it every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't get any praise for it. Mm-hmm. Let's just gloss over it. it doesn't as if it doesn't happen, and I think it's the same as society. You forget about that, and you nitpick the stuff that you do poorly or not well at all, and you magnify that and say, "Well," and no wonder people kind of turn around and say, "I'm lazy, I'm stupid, I'm an idiot." Mm-hmm. Well, if you believe all the <laughs> those sentiments and arguments, you're bound to bring that a reality in terms of. Mm-hmm. It's a generalization a little bit, but you've made that become a reality in terms of because you've repeated it over and over again. An athlete knows exactly what that is. It's repetition, the hundred that was a hundred thousand hours, uh, in terms of that's why we're good at our craft because we've done it over and over again. We take right. 
for granted and, and the same with how you speak to yourself. Do yeah. it enough, it becomes routine and it becomes normal. Uh, and then obviously when you push back against that, people are surprised. They kind of, like you were saying, they want what they don't have. Mm-hmm. But when you get them to be aware of you're better than you think, mm-hmm. and you've come a long way already without my help, mm-hmm. yes, you can still learn from me, but I don't want you to be a carbon copy of me because that's impossible. I don't want to be coaching or be around robots. It's I don't want to be seeing multiples of me because then that doesn't make me an, an individual. It's mm-hmm. we can, You can take attributes or traits from what I've learned as an athlete, as a coach, and my own experiences and implement it into your own life and mm-hmm. suit it to be your lifestyle and make it a part of your new identity and you're comfortable with that. But mm-hmm. you can't be me because you've not lived my life through my eyes. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So I know I'm the one being interviewed here, but let me ask you this question. Just We're, we're just having a conversation here. So as a person who, um, is, it seems like you're really passionate about helping people develop the mindset that would help them to reach elite status in life, correct? And, and But sometimes that takes some convincing to do, especially if you see a person who has great potential but mentally they're talking themselves out of success. And then here come you, a, a leader of experience and proven results to say, Hey, here's a couple of ways to, 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 to develop your mindset so that you can reach your full potential in life. And they're like, nah, nah. it makes you frustrated because you see potential in that person. It does for me. Let me ask you, does it make you frustrated when that scenario happens? Well, it's because they can't, they're not fully aware of, uh, of the, I'll call it value because there is actually one person when you, you, you actually ask that question, I think of because they were nitpicking and ch- or cherry picking as I'll call it one aspect of, of my program. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I can give you this, but I'm aware that be for your own vocabulary and what you've told me, those two other issues are still a problem because you wouldn't be one coming to speak to me. And you would have the own your own. I won't call it motivation, but you would have uh, a kind of a thought process where a, a need is a must in terms of training or exercising, and you would do it anyway. And you're not putting barriers mm-hmm. up for the sake of it. And the mindset is probably the the one that you're struggling with the most. But you kind of push it away because of, to a certain extent, maybe you think it's a wishy washy approach whereas i would argue that's not the case maybe when i thought of it and this is going back probably a decade psychology was not what it is now and people's understanding of how you operate on the on the mental side is -hmm. far exceeding so if i have implemented what i know now Mm -hmm. 10 years ago Mm-hmm. I'd have probably been better a better athlete, a better person for it. Absolutely. As I speak to younger athletes now because of this podcast, they're 10 years younger than me and a lot, wise, a lot wiser than I was at that age. Oh, and uh-huh. you're thinking, well, you're night and day, but they were putting it down to the well-being of an athlete now is totally different. They don't look at just at the physical side of things that you and I were, were obviously having to look at. They're looking at the mental thing. How is this impacting on your mental well-being whereas it's mm. it's far exceeded the the level i think sport is embracing psycology what one mm-hmm. percent can we maximize 
on that level to be able to push people's button, your coach more specifically. That's, um, that's psychology 101 mm-hmm. in terms of pushing people's buttons to be able to maximize your physical prowess and obviously not you to back off in terms of which every human being will do, especially in sports will back. If they feel that they're superior, Mm-hmm. Well, I can back off because I don't really need to try. I'll beat this person at fifty percent, sixty percent, and and generally, do you play well? No. Could you play better if you actually respect it? I'll say the game as opposed to the opponent because obviously you don't respect the opponent because you already know that you have a supremacy over them, so you don't respect them. But if you respected the game, like you respected the game if you were playing somebody better than you because you know you have to raise to the challenge you would you would perform a lot better Mm -hmm. but it's only human nature and I think when yourselves and other coaches say well that's not acceptable in terms of a standard to fall below Mm -hmm. you don't you you do look at yourself in the mirror and say if I fall below a certain standard that is unacceptable to myself Mm-hmm. obviously you're going to be a, better, a greater person and a greater athlete because you're going to be a harshest critic in a, in a positive light because this is unacceptable because of X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, I haven't, I think everyone listening on this call has some type of goal, some type of purpose, um, true mission that they want to fulfill and when you set out to do that, you are going to encounter rejection. You are going to encounter not not just from people who you you don't want in your life, anyways. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not I'm not talking about a Democrat feeling rejected by a Republican. Um, you know, I'm not talking about uh, uh, um, somebody who is conservative being rejected by a liberal. That's not what I'm talking about. I, I'm saying that. Um, for the people who you care passionately about, the people who your your core message really wants to influence, uh, your business really wants to impact, and yet they're having issues with you. To me, that's the greatest form of rejection because you're the most vulnerable. As athletes, we're so open uh, to the criticism of other people. It, it, it's it's you you cannot help it. I don't care how secure you are. It's it's challenging when everyone's talking about you. Everyone has an opinion of you. You 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 they give you a trophy when you win a championship and you have a uh you lose a game the next day or you have a bad game the next day or make a bad play the next day or the next week and you're in the front page of the paper saying you you're terrible and you'll never make it, you'll never be top ten or whatever. So you're always at the mercy of, of other people's opinion. Uh, and, and you, and we live for the applause a lot of times. And, and, you know, you know, you asked the question earlier in this talk of, you know, was, what was kind of the, the thought process behind forming second chance athletes? Well, it was twofold. Number one, I experienced it. It's a high form of rejection to have all your hopes, your dreams, um, and playing at the next level, or, you know, whether that's for me, it was from college to pro for others, it's from pro to elite, or it's from elite to you know, legacy, the best ever. Um, we all have that next marker that we're trying to hit. And when your heart, your soul, your whole life is thrown towards that one initiative um, it and you fail, that's a, a huge rejection. 
And then you add on to that uh, what happened to me that caused a greater mental illness. Um, and I say that meaning with, with true respect to the uh, science that's behind mental illness. Um, uh, you know, they, they did label me clinically depressed and, um, and all that stuff. But sometimes you don't necessarily have to have a chemical imbalance. You can just have a life event that just caused you to feel depressed. And so I had both. <laughs> I had the chemical imbalance and then I had the failure in sports. And then I had people who were my fans, quote unquote, um, that, that called me every other day, asked me how my family's doing, how I'm doing personally. And then when I'm no longer going to play in the NFL, um, I don't hear from these people. These are people who I thought actually cared about me. Rejection. And when you experience that as an athlete, you're so used to being on a high. And, and now not only have you failed personally, but the people who you thought cared about you doesn't care about you anymore. And you're at rock bottom wondering if your life matters, especially when you look at your other skills and you go, well, my athletic ability was my best skill, but I can't use it to serve the world anymore. Um, and that's what I experienced. And so I knew, uh, I started to, you know, uh, obviously went through this whole train of, of depression, which I'm, I'm more than happy to talk about if you want, but you know, when that turnaround happened, I started to do public speaking and just share a message of hope and encouragement, raise awareness about opioid addiction and, 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 and depression and drug use in sports. And I noticed that a lot of people were leaving inspired. Oh, that was a great message but they weren't leaving transformed. Uh, yes, that was great. But yet I look at their lives. I, I see some of them on social media and they, and, and, you know, two weeks later, two months later, two years later, nothing has really changed about their life. They're still dealing with that same issue. And I said, we need something beyond the keynote, <laughs> which is why second chance athletes was formed. And so uh, we formed it to be able to come alongside people who are dealing with the pressures that sports bring, uh, and, and they need to hear an athlete's perspective, someone who gets it. They need to figure out how do I still give my all to this sport, but also um, recognize that this is just a stage in my journey. OK, uh, the one thing we don't do at Second Chance Athletes is we do not tell people to put together a plan B. We don't because that goes and you know this that goes uh, um, and that contradicts everything in the athlete's mentality, which is told that if you believe that you are going to be the best, you will be the best. <laughs> Yet, plan for failure. <laughs> no, that's that's completely opposite. I'm not, you know, we did this, uh, some speaker came to talk to our football team. There was 98 athletes. He said, raise your hand if you want to play at the next level in the NFL. 98 hands go up, right? And he says, now, two people keep their hand up. Everybody else, drop their hands. That's who's actually going to make it. What a powerful visual. Now, what do you think everyone in that room was thinking? I'm one of the two. <laughs> so it goes against our mindset. And so uh, we knew that uh, we had to uh, communicate to athletes in a way that doesn't cause them to live their life as if they're going to fail, but rather prepares them to transition out of sport so that if it happens sooner than what they wanted, they're prepared to do that. But do you think, obviously, because of the, the, the model that obviously the U.S. collegiate system has, mm -hmm. obviously the one and done, I'm just going to counteract my argument here, but <laughs> be it for the most majority of the student athletes, they do technically have a plan B, but 
they've leveraged their sport to get them that opportunity? Uh, you know, no. <laughs> um, because, because again, it's not just, and, and that's one of the things we coach our athletes through, um, is because it's not just about having something. Okay. It's about loving that something just as, or more than your sport. See, that's the hard part. We all can find something. Most athletes are multi-talented anyways. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and if you, if you aren't multi-talented, you have soft skills that will help you be successful in pretty much anything. That's why people will hire former athletes, right? They'll put them in sales positions and they'll dominate because they get, you know, you know, teamwork and leadership and hard work and all that stuff. So, uh, but that doesn't help me to enjoy my life. That just makes sure that I have a paycheck <laughs> and that's not enough for me. Again, for me, um, one of the reasons why I was so suicidal was because I didn't think that there was anything worth living more than sports. I, I, I Sports was it for me without it, uh, without me playing it. I didn't feel like there was any purpose to life. So it's not that I didn't think that I could work for some company, um, be rich, successful. It was that I just didn't think that I would enjoy it. And, it, and, and I always say it like this. It's like being married. It's like being married, getting divorced, being remarried, and then wishing you were with your old wife. That's what it's like to have a, a, a plan B, a second job that you don't love more than, than your career as an athlete you'll always wish that you could go get remarried to your old spouse. You'll always wish that you could be 20 years younger and have another chance to compete. And James, that's a terrible way to live. Because if you think about it, that little piece of you, you talk about being 1% better, um, that, that piece of you, even if it's just 1%, which it, it's 30, 40, 50, 60 for many people, that is still holding you're still reserving that in your heart and your mind and your ethic in your life right now, because that 1% is something you could be devoting to your current life, your current success, your current happiness, but it's reserved for a wish that I could go back to my glory days. I said, I'm going to come out with a t-shirt that says, these are the glory days. <laughs> well, there was, um, oh, I can't remember which uh, series it was on because I did a post about it and they talked about obviously um, the mindset of people being fixated and living in the past versus people that have embraced their past and moved forward. And I think somebody questioned me in terms of you're living in the past. I would probably question that now because it's like, no, I'm learning from what I did in the past. I'm not living back there. Mm-hmm. I can't go back and change anything, be it good or bad. I, I've I've come to terms with that now. And it was probably a difficult process to be able to endure and overcome. Mm-hmm. I did it. And I think it did help. It I probably take some heat from my mental health issues as well because it took hitting rock bottom to embrace the things that went wrong which I wasn't willing to deal with even though I was, even as an athlete it's like I'll brush it under the carpet and deal with it when I retire it's no big deal now whatever turn event kind of I think the cataclysmic event for me was the final straw and it kind of pushed me over the ledge mm-hmm. and I was blaming everything and everything oh it's this what caused it right 
No, I, I actually sat down and had a moment to myself. It's like, no, it's this, 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 and ultimately stuff that you didn't want to deal with at the time that mm-hmm. has ultimately caused you to get to there. It transpired I probably needed to hit that rock bottom to be aware of my surroundings in terms of being able to embrace, embrace everything and have mm-hmm. that empathy to other people. Whereas maybe as an athlete, and before that, I wasn't. I was empathetic towards me. I could relate to people who had disabilities because of habit myself. Mm-hmm. Would any other things be to the nature of the beast of being an athletic person? I'm self-centered. And I think mm-hmm. even family to this day say so you still have a little bit of a trait of it. Mm-hmm. However, I would say I need it to a certain extent to be able to thrive within business because if I'm a little bit self-centered, I can compete. Mm-hmm. And obviously things of that nature of being destruct- destructive of what we're talking about, rejection, mm-hmm. I'm able to evaluate. It's not, it's not somebody bashing me. It's something that they can't deal with at this present moment. Generally not their fault, some of it. Mm-hmm. It's that they're in a um, systematic problem where we are in society, where we live in a, a certain of a, a, a fantasy land in terms of people don't want to have a, they want to live in democracy, but they don't want to be democratic. So obviously <laughs> without going into politics too much, People will get where I'm going from that. You want to have, you want to have your cake and eat it, mm-hmm. but you don't want to have a conversation. It's like you can't have both. It's either mm-hmm. we either we either <laughs> do live in a democracy or we don't. The alternative, the alternative, nobody wants that uh, to live in a in a dictatorship. Uh, but I think in terms of, it's having that awareness to, to be, full circle. That I, I know. For, for good or bad, the decisions I made ultimately were choices. If they're bad choices, I have to live with the consequences. If they're good good choices, I obviously mm-hmm. will accept those because everybody, like you were telling, was saying, it's going to make you happy. Most people mm-hmm. don't want to deal with the bad consequences because ultimately it's put them in a bad predicament. Yeah, yeah. I love, I love what you said about there's a difference between uh, living in the past and learning from the past. And, you know, that, that's one of the things that rejection um, that, that I, I pass on as a message of how to deal with rejection as well or how to overcome it. And I, I say this all the time because part of um, turning your rejection into success is you have to reflect. You have to go back and think about the things that happened in your life, whether it happened to you or whether you were the one that, that did it to others and it, and it produced a ripple effect of chaos in your life. Um, you have to go back and, and, and a lot of people are afraid to do that because they think that I'm asking them uh, to relive it and to live there when really I'm telling them to learn from there. Um, and you're, you're supposed to go back, but you're not supposed to stay there. And, and it sounds like you have a, a really good perspective on that and it's working right it because learning from your past has helped you to become who you are today uh but but typically you know the average person is is afraid of that and and rightfully so because it's very emotional and it's very it's very uh traumatic 
and there there's a real life thing called re-traumatization which a lot of people are afraid of uh, but i still believe that at the core of those moments is useful information to help us live a more successful life and if we're willing to kind of navigate through that rough terrain i mean um, i have this rejection to success guide on my personal brand website um, that people can download for completely free. And in like the first page or two, I'd say, all right, this might hurt a little bit. And I, I actually asked them, I don't know if anyone does it because, you know, they don't have to submit it to me, but I asked, I asked them to sign a, a, a commitment in the beginning on the first page that says, no matter how hard this gets, I'm going to finish. Because if you went through all of that, like just think about this, if, if, if you made a ton of mistakes, if you were betrayed, hurt, like if life just like gave you a bad hand, at least take something from those moments and do something with it. Like I work with a lot of former addicts because of my battle with opioid addiction. And I'm like, man, addicts go through some of the worst stuff. Usually it's not their fault that they're addicted. Number one, they have an allergy. Science proves that. Number two, they got introduced to drugs that most of the times it wasn't by choice. It was a grandfather, it was an uncle, or somebody. They were, they were young. They didn't know how to necessarily make decisions for themselves. They respected their elders, and they wanted to be like mom, dad, pop, uncle, whatever. They introduced them to drugs. Life happens. They hang around with the wrong people. They make poor decisions. They get a record. And, and 20 years later, they're still addicted to substances and drugs, and they're, they're you know, externally a failure. And, and, and I say, you mean to tell me you went through all of that? All of those drug abuse, you know, some of them sexual abuse, you know, poor decisions, nights where you, you, you blacked out and you didn't know where you were when you woke up the next day, you know, hustling to get drugs, all of this stuff. And now you're just going to wallow and pity over it? No. Why not go back and, 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 and find the, the version of you before life happened to you and realize that you still got purpose? and treasure and gifts and talents that you can use to serve the world. And some of the things that happen to you, now you can use for you in your life. And that's the message. And everybody has a story. And, and that's, what we're, that's what we're trying to help people do. We're trying to help them be successful. We're trying to help them achieve their dreams. And in some part, we're trying to help them see things inside themselves that they struggle to see. But it's a cause worth fighting for. But I think as well, Daryl, it's, it's a little bit, and this is showing both our age as well now. Um, it's a bit like hitting the reset button, then you're know, like, like VCR um, going back, <laughs> re- rewinding a little bit, and then taping over certain aspects, but learning from obviously the, the stuff that you're going to tape over to be able to be a version. I, 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 I exemplify in terms of what you talked about. Mm-hmm. I went back and relearned, well, what did I do well as an athlete, but took it, uh, took it for granted? Mm-hmm. implementation of music i use it subliminally and kind of a form of brainwashing mm-hmm. in a positive way right I stop doing that at a certain point okay let's reintroduce it it's painful to start with because mm-hmm. i've become unaccustomed to it and i was probably but i was willing to fight for it because it's like well if i listen to the words and the meaning it was very emotional because it was it, you listen to the actual it's like well okay this relates to this time in, in in my life relative to that song and i would probably go even deeper than that which was mm-hmm. hard to deal with because like well it's only a song why are you putting an emotion attachment to that so much but i was willing to get whereas now i listen 
I can listen to the same music, but it doesn't have the same meaning. But I think at that time it served a purpose. It was to not necessarily get me better, but it was getting me from out from that dark tunnel and into the light. It's mm-hmm. everybody's going to be some, I think it's, it's cliche mm-hmm. uh, of, of, of you coming into the light, but obviously that the, and I can't remember who, who, who coined the, 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 the quote itself, but the one that's in coach Carter, the thing that you're most fearful of is the light. If you, if, if people were realistic, you're not scared of the darkness. You're scared of, of what is oh, to come. You're scared. you're scared of mm-hmm. what is to be the future. Yeah. Politics manifests it a lot. Mm-hmm. This is going to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Why do you have to be so pessimistic? Yeah. There is there is another eventuality that if you are a little bit more positive and optimistic, mm-hmm. the sky is the limit. You're, yeah. You are, to a certain extent, playing on people's fears uh, and scarcity and things like that. But if people were realistic and looked at things from an even if it was an emotional standpoint, you have pessimism. The other side of the coin is optimism. Uh-huh. You, 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 yes, you can be in a in a in a pessimistic state. My family is very pessimistic. We look at you know Plan B, Plan C, yeah, uh-huh. and prepare for the eventuality. Do I, <laughs> does it ever come to Plan C? No, no. chance. But mm-hmm. obviously it makes me feel comfortable and I think it stems from very much a learned behavior going way back. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously um, and I'm okay with that sharing this. My grandmother was adopted and she, she had a, a step, I think it was my step, her stepfather would say, if you don't behave, we're going to send you back to your real father. And that's to a child. So Jeez. what that does to you mentally Jeez. That's then passed on from worry, anguish, wow. uh, and hardship down to my mum and my, my aunt. Mm-hmm. I've learned that behavior to a certain extent. And we just, we discuss it. What, what impact does that have mm-hmm. on a chain or effect from a family perspective? Just on one, emo- one emotion. Obviously, you wouldn't do that in this day and age because of mental health and more awareness of just being saying one particular action. Mm-hmm. Is obviously the person who's going to magnify it to, okay, I can't step out of line mm-hmm. based on, on, on that. And obviously that's going back to the days of be seen and not heard. Right. So that's going to exemplify that even more. So I, I, I absolutely recognize why I have fears, doubts, uh, um, self-doubt, anxiety to certain aspects to learn behavior i can I, mm. I can obviously change that and push right. back against it because ultimately i think the only fears that we're born with is fear of falling and loud mm. noises and i think mm. i don't have either of those i don't i have a, a phobia of heights but that's something <laughs> that i've learned as well i'm not scared <laughs> i'm not scared of falling but i'm scared of the <laughs> the, yeah. the outcome possibly arise <laughs> you do get fearful of being you know uh near uh high buildings and the railings yeah. not being quite safe and things like so you so you'll never you'll never go skydiving <sighs> i don't know yes and no because obviously jumping out of a plane is not necessarily normal but <laughs> each to their own i'm not an adren- adrenaline junkie but some uh-huh. people will get a fix out of that uh-huh. So it's each to their own. I wouldn't say I wouldn't do it, but I probably 
would weigh it up and say what was the purpose of doing it. If it was for charity, I'd maybe look, consider it. But if it was Uh doing it because I wanted to do it and it was a passion, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But no, it's a, it's a difficult one because ultimately those are it's, it, well, what we've been talking about. It's a lot of things are learned behaviors. So if people actually took a step back, reflected, look with it, um, an out-of-body experience, be it, okay, I'm, I'm not talking about life or death, but try to look at it as if they were looking down upon themselves and looked at it metaphorically uh-huh. as opposed to being in the moment and living it. A lot of things you'd probably question. It's like, well, I don't really believe this. Where has right. this thought come from? Right. Is it something I believe or is it something that's been, right. I've learned from somebody else. And a lot of mm-hmm. people push back and say, that's ridiculous. It's, it's, mm-hmm. I did it loads as a, as, a, as a young athlete because obviously you're trying to find your identity purpose. Obviously you're trying to squash those naysayers and kind of prove people wrong. It's like, well, I don't believe I'm I'm a failure. I don't believe I'm not going to amount to anything. I'm going to prove you wrong, and and, pr- and come out the other side. Obviously, that's doing it as external motivation because I'm trying to prove somebody else that I'm I have purpose within <laughs> the world and, and, and yeah. life. But I think ultimately, it's got to be internal. You've got to have a passion. You've got to love what you do. And I think this is where people struggle. I think where motivation and motivational speaking does have a place, but I would counteract that because for I think the 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 figures are like for ninety nine percent of the population it won't work. And then when you question people on this is why I don't believe it, they do push back and say, "Well, I do get motivation from it." Yeah, but there will come a certain point where you're going to struggle and not be able to live up to those expectations because obviously they're passionate about what they do, but do you really buy in? <laughs> so Daryl, for my penultimate question to you today, then if you had to sit down with any athlete past or present that are alive, who would that be? Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant. And why? Uh, because... Um, he's got a lot of stuff that I would want to ask him. Um, he clearly wanted to be better than Michael Jordan. Whether he succeeded is up for grabs. I don't think he did, but whatever. Um, I mean, he mimicked a lot of his movements, and I, I just want to pick his brain about what it was like to to get so close. <laughs> or if he thought he he surpassed Michael Jordan um and 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 obviously with the uh show that he has in my mentality he's given a lot back to to the game and to athletes i would want to talk to him about what was behind his decisions and and what would he like to see in the next generation of athletes it seems like he he has a real mission that isn't communicated as loudly as just some of the tactical mindset stuff that he shares with the mama mentality um, he's also bilingual and I just think that's cool, uh, to be, uh, that talented, to be able to speak multiple languages, um, and dominate a sport. Um, so I, I would choose him, um, because he just seems very wise and he's got a lot of questions I want to ask him. 
And my final question to you then, before we wrap up the show, is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? And obviously, as you and I know, we've had some technical difficulties today, so it's going to be a little bit more difficult than we'd imagine to answer that question. I would summarize today's talk, and I would say that live... No, let me, let, me, let, me, let me start over. I would summarize today's talk to say, learn from your past. Don't live in your past. Everything that happened to you, every bad mistake you've ever made, every angry outlash you've ever had as an athlete, although it was a terrible experience, can be used to create a better future if you allow it, if you learn from it rather than live in it. So once again, Daryl, thanks again for giving up your time and coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. It's been my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to connecting with anyone who needs it. It's been my absolute pleasure. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Daryl and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at D. Stinson 97 and that's the number 97 at second chance athletes that's the word second and at James O. Roberts 11 and that is the number 11 and again you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook and in addition if you had any follow up questions don't hesitate to shoot them over as well and finally don't forget to check out his website www secondchanceathletes.com and as always do check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk and click on the tab resources but not forgetting I've also started a new Facebook group especially for the podcast which you can find by typing the mindset athlete so make sure to check those links out they will be in the description you can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipson.com under the category general. So once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.